The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Here, Phil, would you like a peerage? What? You know, Baron Farnham, Marquis of Guildford, job for life, <laughs> red ermine, headed note paper, that's it. Bank transfer's fine. Uh, account name? Oh, the Conservative Party. It, it, it's not like that. Well, it's not far off. Mm. Boris Johnson's resignation honours list has caused outrage, but it's only a starker version of what's been going on for years. There has to be something wrong with a system of knighthoods, OBEs and peerages that overwhelmingly is used as a tool of politics, rewarding allies, buying off enemies. And when one honour, elevation to the House of Lords brings actual political power for life. Mm. How can that be defended in a democracy? So that's our subject this week, an honour system that seems to be a system without honour. This week on The Why Curve, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. The Why Curve. Yeah, I mean, we are. Westminster is supposedly the mother of all parliaments, isn't it? But I wonder whether the mother has just got a bit old now. She's been put in a nursing home and we need to well, look at a new a I, new system. I think the mother is being exploited by her children. That's fundamentally what's going on. Because <laughs> I, it, it, the system itself is not new. I mean, we can go back to Lloyd George, for God's sakes, who was selling peerages uh, mm. a century ago. Mm. But... But it now seems to be just rather in your face, doesn't it? I mean, you know, when Boris Johnson nominates his dad, some 28-year-old, who I'm sure is lovely, but yeah. appears to have no better claim than, well, who knows? I think I mean, she's 29 now, actually. All right, 29, so, I mean, to being in the House of Lords. Yeah. When, you know, it, it, uh, Sir Jacob Rees-Mogg, really? Yeah. I mean, it, it is honours all round are the problem, but the ones that really hurt are the ones that bring actual... So is there a limitation on how many peerages, how many people are put into the House of Lords? And is no. there any control over, other than the, the, the Prime Minister having the say-so, as to who it is? Well, it goes through something called HOLAC, which is the sort of uh, this, the monitoring committee, but they don't seem to have that much power, to be honest. Mm. They seem to be able to be pushed around a bit. Uh, and and it's, in the end, the problem is it's been a tradition of, on, of giving people uh, honours for help. So the parties, our political parties, don't get state support generally. Yeah. So they have to get money from somewhere. So they have fundraisers. Well, yeah. you know, you've got to give the fundraisers so a nice. A, yeah. So there's the. I mean, that's so. I mean, the easiest way to fix that. Well, one easy way to fix it is to get rid of the House of Lords. Of course, that's a possibility, isn't it? Maybe mm-hmm. more t- more than ever before, uh, that is a, a thought that might be entertained by the majority of the population, particularly when a former Prime Minister wants to put his dad in there, and as you say, a 29-year-old personal assistant. So, I mean, it, I mean, this is clearly a violation of the, you know, of the, the intent. Yeah. Uh, but also, I mean... If it's being used to reward people who fed money into the parties, I mean, mm. we've got a state broadcaster, for example, public broadcaster. Well, well, yes, sorry. let's not say state, state broadcaster. Sorry, public broadcaster. There, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, there's there's come election time. There's yeah. a, there's a vehicle there that could be used for promoting uh, the agendas of various political mm. parties without those political parties having to rely on advertising. Because I mean, the, the moment you start going into advertising, then it's yes, it's who can get the most support uh, financially mm. and. Uh, and and yeah. buy up the most airtime. Yeah, yeah. But but the thing is, I mean, parties need money. I think you can't say they don't. Mm. Parties need money in order to campaign, and they have donors. And in a way, maybe that's good because people who want the party who support the party's objectives can give money now of course it can be distorted we know in the US money basically buys power yeah. we're not quite at that stage we're not but far. how much money do you need I mean it, it is all you are is a group of people with a bunch of ideas trying to get into parliament I mean how many, yeah. if you and if you were told well okay you're going to have airtime on the public broadcaster to yeah. try and get your message across uh, how much money do you really need well you need money I suppose for other adverts posters you need money to, to publish your manifesto 
You need you need you need the, you need actual money to uh, put a deposit down to see if you're going to win the blessed seat. You know yeah. these kind of things. Now, I don't think you can say there's no money involved. No, but I'm, I just wonder whether it could all come out of the public purse. That's well, all. that's that is an interesting one. And when they do opinion polls, they generally find that, that the public doesn't really want to pay money to uh, politicians that, frankly, they despise in a lot of cases. Mm. Um, but it's it's more than that. It's it, it's not just money. I mean, it's to do with really giving little net. You know, people love having little monikers on the end. OBE, CBE, MBE, Sir, Dame. You know, it, yeah. people like that. Would and you, you would hand you? it out. Would you? I mean, I'm not fussed. Uh, would you? Would well, you honest, like to? Can you honestly say, Phil, that if if a little letter appeared in the in the post tomorrow that said, you know, I think I'd assume they'd got the wrong person. Well, you would. You would. I mean, probably <laughs> would. Let's all, face it. I, I mean, you've done so. You've that. done so many years for the BBC. Maybe maybe it will happen to you. Who Sir knows? Sir Roger has a certain ring, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh, Lord Hearing. Even. I mean, anyway. I feel like we could use it. We could milk it to get more listeners to well, the podcast. We'll try anything we can. Yeah. When when all's said and done. Yeah. No, but I mean, most people would, I think, be very pleased with that. Uh, and, and and let's say some mm. of the honours do go to people who deserve them. I mean, mm. that does happen. Yeah, but the fact that it's. I mean, I wonder whether if you if you were one of those deserving people, how you'd feel. When you get this, you know, latest rabble uh, joining, uh, yeah. you know, the, the people the who same. broke COVID rules and had parties and something. Yeah, you'd be thinking, nice, well, okay, that completely devalues where I stand now, doesn't yeah, it? And yeah. you would just think it's, it devalues the whole the whole idea behind it. But anyway, we'll discuss this yeah, more today. The thing clearly has gone wrong. We need to find out what could potentially replace it. But yeah. while we're talking about money... Yeah, well, I mean, it, just because our democracy is being mismanaged that uh, and, and possibly the economy along with it, that, that doesn't mean your own personal wealth can't be in the hands Indeed. of experts. And uh, the sort of experts, yes. not the sort we get in the House of Lords... Don't but give it to the political with, parties. Put it somewhere where it will make you more money. <laughs> with In the hands of real experts at Wingmore Associates. Uh, they can look at how you optimise your return on your assets and your investments, minimise your tax, and prepare you for your old age and retirement... And and after that, how your estate is passed on to your children or whoever you want to get it. So Wigmore Associates, they can help with all of that. They're a boutique wealth management firm. Uh, they've been helping people out for decades. Give them a call on 0207-224-3400 or visit wigmore-associates.co.uk. They're proud supporters of the YKF. And Please they are, tell them that we sent you. And uh, they'll be busy looking after you because they won't be in the House of Lords because they haven't. We they haven't got, And none of them have got as, as far as we know. So far, of course. But uh, anyway, all right. Let's move right, on. Let's talk about the honours system. Let's bring in Dr. Sam Power. He's a senior lecturer in politics at the University of Sussex, and he's written several books, including one called Party Funding and Corruption. So he knows whereof he speaks. We'll bring him in now. OK, so Sam, I mean, I guess there's two sides to this, aren't there? First of all, there's the, you know, just the idea of, of giving awards in any form from the from from the government, uh, making people night, giving people knighthoods. And then, and then the other aspect of it is, is giving peerages in the House of Lords and the question about whether we need those. I mean, in both cases, I mean, I mean, is it all just a bit outdated and do we need to move on? Well, I always think of the, the, the giving of honours, but particularly the giving of resignation honours, as, as sort of one of those peculiar political things um, that does just feel a bit outdated. And we're not entirely sure where it came from anyway. And it just sort of now exists as a thing that is done. And it just seems a little bit bizarre. I always like to draw an analogy with the, uh, the, the, the practice in the USA of presidential pardons of, you know, an outgoing president just seeming to set free anyone that he feels like he deserves it. And it just seems a very 
odd thing to do in in, in a political system mm. and in a democracy. Well, it's kind of a monarchical power in a way, isn't it? Royal pardon kind of idea. Well, I mean, why not actually make it, a, given that we do have a royal family that doesn't have a lot to do, really, apart from, you know, go to openings and uh, stuff like that, why don't we actually make it the job of the king to actually determine who is given knighthood? Well, in theory, I think that that's the way it's supposed to work anyway, isn't it, Sam? Well, that, that, that's precisely it. It's why... Why is it in the gift of the prime minister? And given that the gift of the prime minister is something that even if we accept that there's no cronyism and nepotism going on in these resignation honours or the honours appointment system more broadly, which is a pretty big if of all of the ifs out there, um, that actually... Uh, why why not put it in the hands of somebody else? Because the logic of resignation honours, the logic of the House of Lords full stop is that it's a body of experts that oversees this legislation. And the idea that a prime minister of all people should should appoint some uh, appoint people, a, a process so open to, to abuse sort of runs against the basic logic of the House of Lords in the first place. Yes, because it's a meritocracy, isn't it? You know, well, it's the House of Lords versus the House of Commons. So it's the experts versus, you know, the, the people who know nothing, it's just elected by the people. So supposedly the House of Lords is doctors, scientists, economists, maybe, at a push. And 28-year-old uh, <laughs> assistants from Downing Street now as well. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 the, the whole idea of who gets in there, it's, it's no longer based on expertise. Well, and exactly, it's or there's experts in there, and you can always go through a list of appointees, and you can say, well, that sort of broadly makes sense, and that person might add value to the chamber. Um, this, but then you do see lots of examples, and you see a lot in Boris Johnson's resignation list of just little added value, and I think that's the point that we need to think about: is this is a the second chamber of our democracy, and it is a fundamentally undemocratic institution. It's an appointed chamber, not an elected chamber. That's just a fact. So if we are to keep the appointed nature of our second chamber, if we think that is a really, really good thing to have, and that's a unique feature of our political system, then at the very least, we need to ensure that it works properly. And it strikes me that particularly with the case of resignation honours, but over and over again, with just the system of appointments more broadly with the House of Lords, it is not fulfilling its purpose and its designed purpose of being a house of experts. You're quite right. Yeah, and I mean, it's the confusion between honours and the legislature that's the problem in a way because I mean in a way we can talk about I want to talk about the system of honours which in itself seems both archaic and somewhat twisted going to people who you know for political favours almost Um, but to give as an honour that someone should sit in the House of Lords seems a strange idea You, you give someone a job on the basis that you're saying that they've done something else rather well it doesn't really make sense well yeah precisely and it's a really important distinction to make is that we often with the resignation honours list again in particular but any honours lists uh, often what's forgotten is that these are lists not just of people that will end up in the house of lords but obes mbes knights of the realm all these different honours and there's just something that becomes incredibly messy with that because these are two functionally distinct things you know the your, your OBE the MBE uh, and the knighthood doesn't actually confer you any actual power it might confer you quite a lot of soft power and it might be quite a nice thing to have either in the front or at the back of your name but um, being in the House of Lords is a genuine is, is a position of genuine power is a seat in Parliament 
And um, so these are two very distinct things. And I think they should be treated as distinct and understood as distinct. And therefore, um, we need to think about a way of separating them at the very least. But to do that, I mean, this is uh, this is heresy that we're talking about here, of course, isn't it? Because we're talking about, you know, the, the, the mother of all parliaments and we're talking about changing it. And, well, you know, it's already and, been and changed on many occasions. I mean, the House of Lords was made up of the landed aristocracy entirely until fairly recently. Yeah, maybe we were better off in the, the, where we were i don't know but i mean how easy is it to make significant changes for for example to the house of lords but also just to the honor system as well i mean if we were to say yeah let's just let the king decide uh, who, who you're gets. very keen on this aren't you? well yeah, yeah, give the give the lad something to do you know mm-hmm. it's and, and and also he's got to live with it he's going to be around for however many more years uh, it's it's not going to be a political decision he's going to have to d- come up with people that are going to be popular with the population as a whole because uh, if he wants to stay king and be a popular king, yeah, you know he can't make bad decisions. If you're if you're a prime minister that's chuffing off and uh, appointing your personal assistant, you don't really care too much. So, all right, Sam. What about the idea that it should be entirely a royal prerogative? Would that work? I mean, it, it, there's no reason why it wouldn't work any less, any any worse, or it wouldn't be any better than the current system. But that's because because the way I see it, the current system isn't really functioning or fit for purpose as it stands. And um, the, the, I think what we need to think about is is, is honours and let's slightly remove the house of lords at, at this point because that is a slightly different beast but let's the, the system of honours other than the house of lords and um, what this should be is you know a valedictory thing something that is a genuine achievement for people that have that, that have either reached the top of their profession or have done something incredibly brave or noble and there are there are there are ways in which you can do that without bringing politics into it so in my world in in the world of in, in the world of academia i don't think anyone would deny john curtis and i'll use his i'll use his correct title professor sir john curtis um a knighthood you know but if, if this the, is the man at strathclyde who who is is really the absolute uh, doyen of political forecasting and polling exactly he goes on tv you all you will have seen him on tv if you're listening to this listening to this podcast at elections he runs the he, he runs the exit polls at elections he is a fantastic communicator of um to, to of politics what politics is and what we should expect in the coming days weeks months in in, in british politics and the fact that he is knighted i think really is is a stamp of approval for the fantastic work that he's done but then when you see every tom dick and harry that is best friends with boris johnson getting knighted or an obe then it really cheapens his achievement and actually you don't need to necessarily put that gift in the power of the king you don't need to put it in the power of a prime minister you can have a body which to which appointments and there is this there, there is this body overseeing body to an extent but you can have a submissions and nominations process and then a decision that is made. And it strikes me that that, that actually respects well, the process and respects it. So, so, yeah, so let's, because I'm, I'm, I'm in uh, find a solution mode uh, on, on the show this week. I'm, yes. Yeah, I want, I want okay. to come out with an answer to all of this. So, yes, I mean, the idea of nomination. So you take a whole load of different categories from different aspects of public life. Uh, and, and one, you know, will you know, could break academia into several areas, for example. People nominate people who they think are particularly influential and have done some work and needed uh, that needs rewarding. 
Rowling, nominate it to a committee that reports to the king, <laughs> and uh, and you know the ultimate decision is made by that king and ratified by the uh, yeah, yeah. By, an independent commission. Well, let me yeah. let me with, throw with no politics involved. Yeah, okay, let me throw a little dust into this because we're all a bit on the same side here. Mm. What about the argument that actually the way politics works in this country is that people are required to do things for very little reward? Actually, a lot of particularly the backroom people. And it's been a tradition for a long time that people who uh, have helped the party in power or even the party out of power um, are rewarded in this kind of way. And, and, and it's a way of also getting money to the political parties, which they do need. Uh, and as long as we're not prepared to pay for these political parties out of public funds, there has to be a mechanism of rewards to make the whole thing work. Yeah, because they're working in the background. Well, yeah, that's, that, I mean, that's that, the argument. That applies to any walk of life. There's people, I mean, well, they, they've got it on their CV. But in, in politics, know, we don't pay our politicians very much. We don't pay our backroom people. We don't pay donors. I mean, Sam, doesn't it make sense to have some system where you can encourage people to oil the wheels of our democracy? So please say, don't disappoint me, Sam. So please say no. Well, well there's, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> to be terribly academic about this and say there's very interesting points uh, to, to, to pull out there. But one of them, and, you know, this was, uh, this was said by one of the leading sort of investigators of political finance across the world was um, sort of playing a devil's advocate and slightly pulling at a thread that actually, again, if you take the House of Lords out of it, um, it doesn't really matter if you're giving party donors a knighthood or an OBE because, you know, they have no real influence on the process and yet political parties need the money. So um, so if you're only going to get, uh, you're only going to be an OBE and that means that democracy can still function, well, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, my position is is that you know these things are they have value, uh, not not monetary value, but general value, and it is important to keep that value. Yeah, um, de- it gets devalued by the by the recent examples, doesn't it? It, get, it gets devalued, and you know if we start creating a market for for finance politics, then that's really problematic. So then you get into questions about, well, are there better ways to finance politics more broadly if we end up having to rely on dodgy backroom deals and honours given left, right and centre just so our political parties can function? The second thing that I think is really important to think about is, again, there's an extent to which you're right, is that politics, perhaps politicians and backroom staff aren't paid enough or should be paid more. But politics is a public service, right? So actually, there's an an extent to which we want people that genuinely believe in public service to be performing these roles. That said, because politics is a public service, there shouldn't shouldn't disqualify people that work for political parties and people that have done incredibly good work from positions in the House of Lords, for example, from positions um, from OBEs, MBEs and knighthoods. It is a tough job being a politician. It's a really tough job working working for a politician so there's there's it's not that these people should be disqualified from that it's that actually i think there just needs to be a complete rebalancing of the scales because if you look at the way in which the system works at the moment it's just completely sort of shifted from what we should expect it to be to this uh, to to something which has just become a breeding ground for nepotism and cronyism well, more broadly. and i think i think you, you if you're a, you know i don't know tory backbench let's be honest a Labour or Lib Dem backbencher too and you've served your time you're a knight of the shires 
you eventually do become a knight because that's a way of of getting you to move on maybe and also uh, to acknowledge your public service and that's pretty much you know baked into the whole system well or is it actually you're going into the into the lords well, because you've got uh, you you've developed expertise from so many years of public life i mean i can see a justification for that so you are uh, you, you've got expertise that you're adding to adding to the that, value you've got wisdom the, yeah. which perhaps younger politicians haven't got but but sam that's all that that may be the theory but it's very rarely the fact you may have wisdom but you much more likely they want to free up a constituency so you get a, a boot up to the to, to, to the lords i mean that's what we thought was going to happen of course with nadine doris but didn't mm. And yeah, there was lots of talk around um, uh, in the sort of late to mid uh, 2010s when and boundary changes are going through now that there was going to be lots of uh, peerages or knighthoods offered for MPs to stand down to create better seats for for better performers. And again, that doesn't really speak all that highly of a system that's working if you're trying to use it to coax out the bad performers and get your good performers in. So again, I think there's nothing logically and, and actually think it's welcome that you have people that work in politics in an appointed uh, second chamber or given knighthoods but perhaps there needs to be some kind of quota system where you know you have you if it's again let's go back to the lords if you have a system where it is a it's a it is a place where the experts are where the experts look at legislation then make it like that make it that there are a specific number of people from different skill sets that ex- that, that are lords when one leaves another one goes in your classic one in one out rule that everybody remembers from being a student or at least I do a long time ago now and you know there's an element of that which is politicians which is people that work in politics it just it's a rebalancing of the scales but how do you determine who who I mean who picks who goes in there well, this is where where some kind of very clear independent commission would come in. Look, there will be worthy candidates in any system that don't get it, that, that don't get in. When you are appointing anyone for a role, when you're interviewing people for a job, you will more often than not get a lot of candidates for one role that are incredibly qualified and would do the job incredibly well. Eventually, you have to make a decision, and there's no reason why. Uh, there's no reason why that can't be the case in something like the House of Lords. Not everyone can become a lord. Not everyone can get knighted. At some point, we need to make a decision about the best candidates in front of us. And it's hard to have, because I always think of it, it's almost like an advisory board. So you get a lot of startups. Well, they'll have a board and then they'll have an advisory board. So, you've, so the advisory board... You think of the House of Lords as the advisory board? We're thinking of it, yeah, a bit like that, isn't it? But a, an advisory board of, what, 781 members? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, many of how, whom have no interest or... or, or, or useful things to contribute but there is the other argument though Sam which is that this has been working for a long time I mean and allegations about bribery and people being put in the House of Lords you know for reasons other than merit go back well at least as far as, as Lloyd George and generally, yes, the system is creaks a bit and there's a few outrageous appointments, but it works. And the old conservative with a small C argument is if you ain't broke, don't fix it. So it works to an extent. The House of Lords is a functioning second chamber. But the, the, the question is, does it work as well as it could do? And are we just happy with a system in which uh, there is a great deal of public outcry every two years when the next honours list gets announced or every six months when the next prime minister resigns 
And the, the, or more frequently. Ex- exactly, more frequently than, than than every six months. So the, the, the question is not, well, I suppose it's a, it's, it's a system that's stuttering along. Um, is it a system that people have a great deal of confidence in when we see this happening? Well, no, we see from, we, we see from the polling that the, the, the House of Lords as an appointed system isn't necessarily, is, is not a system that is all that popular. We see, frankly, from news story after news story, which isn't all that healthy, um, the the House of Lords and the legitimacy of the House of Lords is constantly called into question. So just that it works, I don't think is a high enough bar. I think that a system which uh, which works is important, but a system which which embeds confidence and instills confidence in people is just as important. And it strikes me the House of Lords is actually something which people don't have confidence in and people don't see as all that so, legitimate. So how we change that, let's come back to that in just a second, because you made a, a comment uh, a little while ago uh, we were talking about uh, payback for people who uh, you know who've, who've supported political parties and and getting rewarded uh, in the honors list are there any countries around the world where political parties don't get donations by law you're not allowed to and they they have to stand on their own two feet because obviously that would before we started talking to you i'm going how much does it really cost to run a political party we've got a, we've got a, a public broadcaster that could be uh, promoting the, uh, the the manifestos of the various parties do we actually need to get donors can't the public purse pay for the campaigns for each political party and then we get over this issue about payback and rewards so there are uh, there, there, there are a number of private financial Financing or, or or the funding of political parties through private means, but through individuals and businesses and corporations and trade unions. It is, it is is a very common form of financing, but across Western Europe, at least, but many countries, the predominant way in which political parties are funded is, is through the state. Uh, the state just does provide much of the money that political parties get. And that's largely worked out on a basis of the number of seats that you get in Parliament and the number of votes that you get um, at an election. There's other things that, that, that are thrown into that pot, but that's about that that's generally the way it's worked out and you know there's there's a lot of benefits to that to that one of which is that it does dampen down um, the amount of donations in a system. It doesn't entirely, and actually there's, donations are, are a useful thing to have. Donating and engaging with politics in that way is something that should be welcomed. The problem is when you get when you are seen to get something in return for that, for that donation. The rule of thumb where donations are completely banned, and there's very few places where that is the case. A really good example though is France pre-1980 Okay, France pre-1988 donations were almost entirely banned and actually just the financing of politics more broadly was banned. If you do that, then someone will find a way of funding politics anyway. They'll just do it. Was that what happened in France? Yeah. Uh, it was just a. It was uh, illegal financing of political parties was rife, frankly. So, um, so the, the, which highlights a slightly broader problem, which is if you if if you uh, if you close off an avenue for, for for the funding of a political party or for the funding of politics, the money will more often than not find its way into the political system. Money is like water. Money in politics is like water. It will find a way through and it will flow in. It will find the loopholes um, and it will flow into the system as you block and the big donors will be the ones that matter and they will tend to be inevitably the already rich who wish to get a return on on their investment and 
more importantly than that, sometimes the very, very, very rich aren't all that interested in a uh, in a return on their investment. They just the the, the money is is nothing to them. I'll give you a, a story for, from a political donor that I uh, interviewed for my book, Party Funding and Corruption. Um, uh, and this was uh, until recently he held the record for the biggest one-off donation in British politics. He was a guy called Stuart Wheeler, who was a fascinating man. And in the early two thousands, he donated five million pounds to the Conservative Party. And I and I went to meet him and in the email back to me when I when I asked if I could speak to him, he said, would you like to meet me in London or would you like to meet me in my castle? Which is one of the best interviews, <laughs> one of the best emails I've ever had. Um, uh, but he said, uh, when I asked him, I said, so five million pounds, that's a lot of money to give to the Conservative Party. Why did you do it? Um, and he said, well, you know, it was the early 2000s. The Conservatives weren't uh, weren't really doing all that much. They were, they were really struggling. And I read this story about how they couldn't afford to send some of their staffers on the train to, uh, to, to, to the conference. And I thought that was jolly unfair that the Conservatives didn't have enough money to do that. And I just floated my company for £90 million. I just sold it. And there's really no difference between uh, £90 million and £85 million. So I just gave them £5 million. Now, that to me is a big difference, of course. But to some people, this money just is is there and and they don't really want anything in return. And did he become Sir Stuart Wheeler or even Lord Wheeler? Um, He certainly, I don't know if he was Sir, he became Treasurer of UKIP. Um, uh, he had a really fast. He had. A, I, I would. I would encourage any of your listeners to look him up. Um, he's he's a really fascinating character. Um, he, he unfortunately died a few years ago, uh, but he was so generous with his time, and he was very willing to talk e- e- about everything. And, and he didn't buy power with it, by the sound of it, or, or indeed honours, very likely. Well, and there will always be people like that. But the, similarly, that you know, the issue is how do you sort out those people from the people who are putting money in and, and do a, want a knighthood or. Some, or a, or a period, or have been promised it, perhaps yeah. even you know before. I, I think it also it also speaks to a slightly broader problem that just shutting off money won't necessarily solve, which is that what we have in this country, but actually in many liberal democracies, at the very least, if not every country in the world, is that the the, the links between people are often defined by wealth, the links between powerful people, but they also move beyond wealth and are actually just much wider connections and people you know elite access is much more than just um somebody giving money to somebody else another example that i think's a really uh, really interesting and this is from nick clegg's autobiography um, i i read, you do read some strange books i know I, i've i've read nick clegg's autobiography which uh, i know someone else who's read it go, as well good luck with the two um, and and uh, he's talking about how a key bit of education policy was made during the coalition government. And I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't have the example in front of me. But um, but he he, assen- he effectively says, well, what happened is we we're thinking about uh, school meals and how to how, how to address the school meals problem. And Michael Gove was on holiday in Egypt, and he bumped into um, and I've forgotten this guy's name, but the but the chairman of the Leon chain of restaurants, who is an old friend from from school 
Um, and he suggested that this was a good course of action, that a particular policy would be good. And that policy did indeed come, come to play, it could come into effect. Now, it might have been a good policy, but it was effectively a policy made out of a chance meeting between two friends who had become very powerful from school or university. And these chance meetings are representative of the way in which actually politics is much more networked than just money. Yeah, it's kind of the magic circle which in a way brings us back to the honours because having a knighthood or a peerage or whatever is a way into that isn't it we, you know there is an element of snobbery and vanity at the centre but, if, of it, but if, it, if it becomes part of a, a committee decision so if we had visibility about who has committed money uh, to uh, dedicated money to particular parties uh, and okay I mean that can that could be hidden as well but if we generally say uh, you know it should be open to investigation so we can see who's feeding money into various political parties then we know who's getting payback. Mm. Uh, but if there's a if there's a committee making that decision, and journalists have got access to who's paid who, and we know when those committee decisions are being made, then journalists can be there, you know, ahead of the time, saying, "Oh, I bet you they're yeah. going to give it to whoever it might be because they donated five million pounds." And if they, you know, if they yeah. were feeling sunlight them, being the best disinfectant, effectively, yeah, yeah exactly. And then uh, that committee then obviously reports to the king. Yes, you're obsessed with this, but fine. <laughs> who, who determines it? Well, actually, for the awards, but. Get back to the House of Lords, because that's a more important thing, isn't it? Determines one thing, saying, well, okay, who are we going to give an award so that they've got uh, something before their name or after? Uh, but determining that who actually know, gets who, power. Who, well, I suppose who, it goes back to the actual central thing. If should in a democracy, should not any legislature actually have a democratic elected basis? Is, isn't well, that fundamental? And here's another thing, though, uh, and we will get back to you, Sam. I promise. Uh, <laughs> Sweden, South Korea, Denmark, Norway. Unless I've got it wrong, mm. I mean they've only got one one assembly. They've only got one house. Do we need to a revising chamber? Well, so you, there's, there's, yeah, exactly. There's nothing to say that you you have to have two. <laughs> there, there, there's plenty of countries that don't. Um, so the first question is: Do we need a House of Lords at all? Can we just get by with the with with, with the House of Commons? Um, and then the second the second question is: If we don't like the system of appointments, then is there a better way to do it? Um, or is there? And I think that's the fundamental question that we need to ask because I suppose there's something slightly contrarian about me that gets frustrated in these debates about well, look at all these donors that are in the House of Lords and it how look at how unfair it is. And quite often the argument that is made is made in terms of in terms of democracy as a, as a democratic argument. And my position is precisely we're making a democratic argument about something which is fundamentally undemocratic. So if we want it to be democratic, if we want it to be a democratic body, if we're angry about the system of appointments, then it either needs to be abolished entirely and we go to just the House of Commons, or it needs to be elected. If we don't want it to be entirely elected, and that's incredibly um, and that's incredibly complex and it will cause far too many problems. And we do actually like the idea that there is a revising chamber where politics is ever so slightly taken out of it. And um, it's quite useful to have to, to have something that's slightly more apolitical. Then what are the other options? A, 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 a more radical alternative that is often brought up is to make it almost like a sort of citizen's jury where you have where you have a chamber made up as a kind of a, a, a deliberative assessment where you effectively do jury service, perhaps. Yeah, that, that is a fascinating one. I've heard that. I mean, do you think, could that work? I mean, each of us potentially might get a letter Monday morning, say, you're in the House of Lords this week. 
um, and, and that's where you have to be. So there's 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 good evidence that citizens assemblies um, have worked in the past, and there's a lot of there's a lot of ways in which deliberative deliberative democracy has been effective. The most famous is, uh, or one of the more famous is the um, the Irish uh, referendum. On, on legalizing um on legalizing gay marriage and the the referendums around abortion so 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 you know there, there have been political changes brought about or suggested changes brought about by citizens assemblies i mean th there's a slight cynic in me that thinks that at the moment citizens assemblies are the buzzword amongst lots of people and whenever you see a problem the answer suggested is well make let's have a citizens assembly about it but that's not necessarily to suggest that it's a bad idea the way that i like to think about it is that let's let, let's have a conversation about what we want the chamber to be and if we want there to be a chamber a much bigger conversation than we can just have although you know we can we can have it if we if you want for, for much longer well, I, I don't think we time. have the time to be honest exactly. it's one of those things where it's such a huge issue in itself that it's very hard to grasp but, but isn't it i mean it depends on what we're seeing the house of lords as being there for uh, or for a second chamber in any country is it there to add expertise and if, if that's the case then it sort of partially does that but not a great deal as, as mm. the experts get watered down or is it more of a sort of counterbalance so that uh, you know so which is the Australian experience where you've mm. got you know on the one side you've got the uh, elected representatives based on geography like the House of Commons here and then and then secondly you've got proportional representation so you get a, a, a different you know, the, op the opportunity for a wider range of political parties to have some form of representation so that's sort of like a counterbalance to uh, to the electoral system, if we were there to say, well, the House of Lords is there as uh, providing expertise. If we've got any major new bill that's going through the House, there's almost always a committee or an inquiry mm. that's set up, and they bring in experts. So we don't need the House of so Lords. So we don't need it because we already mm. have that sit up. I mean, I think you know, in in Sweden and Denmark, mm. that's the you know that that's their basis. They don't mm. need that expertise because they have lots of committees. Mm. Yeah, what do you reckon, Sam? The, 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 the committee system. Uh, uh, speak, speaking as someone that's that, that's appeared on a number of committees because they <laughs> they assumed wrongly that I was an expert on various things. Well, we made the same mistake. <laughs> not quite exactly. It's 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 it's, it's a not all that common, but but, but terrible mistake to make. And um, you know, the system really does work. People do listen. These people that are mm. that the, the, when you appear in front of the the committee, they, they, it, it does work, and it is an important part of the process. So, what we need to think of the House of Lords as is, or, or the, the the second chamber as is 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 adding value. Um, and, mm. and does it add value? Um, and I think that there is an extent to which even now that, you know, the House of Lords as as somebody that is really scrutinising legislation and sending it back is useful and does add value. But the um, question is, is, is it overpriced? And that is certainly well, the case. It's overstuffed for certain. Well, yes, far too many people. But I think there's one other element as we draw this conversation to a close that we need to bring in, which is, I mentioned it slightly earlier, vanity and, uh, and snobbery and, and the magic, if you like, of it. Because that is something in our constitution, you know, with the king, the coronation, all the rest of it. People like the idea of being Lord somebody or other. They also like the idea of being Sir somebody or, or Dame somebody. I mean, you know, Sam, can you honestly tell me if they were going to make you Sir Sam power or, or, or Lord power um, that you would, you know, that something wouldn't be inside you go, well, that would be rather nice. And isn't that part of the magic that we need? 
yeah and look i'm not i'm not appearing on uh, uh on a podcast and saying that uh you know if if, if i was offered an honor i wouldn't accept it actually i probably yeah. would frankly. If it, i was saying anyone's out there listening he would. yeah i would so, so you feel, feel free to put me forward <laughs> no but um but the, of course there is actually a genuine um there is a pull in the idea of an, a power of institutions, right? That that actually, when you walk into the House of Commons um, or the House of Lords, when you walk into the parliamentary estate, that actually just just the being there make it gives brings brings some form of, I suppose, respect. And actually, the, the, this notion of the House of Lords as an overseeing body, the House of Commons, that actually that leads you to behave in a certain way. And I think that is actually really powerful and it's not something that should be taken away lightly um, uh, similarly similar arguments can be made for the monarchy right that actually this is maybe to an extent a part of the, the USP of, of the United Kingdom if you will I suppose the, the, the problem I have is that that's really good in practice and that's really good in theory but we've got a lot of evidence now that there are some pretty significant problems with the system as it is so again it comes back to this conversation of well actually perhaps it is quite good to have a to have a house of lords and i think i probably started my life uh, or, or started my life when i was really thinking about politics as someone that was very radical like like any teenager maybe um that was thinking well you should just get rid of it and i've tempered that radicalism ever since um, but it's certainly the case that if we if we want a functioning House of Lords that does act well, then really significant reform is happening. That might not be an elected chamber. That might not be a citizens assembly in the jury system. But it certainly is cutting down the number of uh, the, the number of people there and changing the appointment system such that perhaps it is an entirely independent nom nominating process and splitting the Lords into this sort sort of the, the blocks of different expertise who then come together and scrutinise legislation. Then you perhaps keep the magic that you're talking about, but you right. also have it functioning better than it currently does. Right. We see I wasn't radical enough as a teenager, obviously, so I'm having it all he's, now. He's I'd rather backwards. just get rid of them. But I think but I think in conclusion, what we are saying, I mean, that, yeah. that all makes sense. And if you do keep it, then that one in, one out and not 780 yeah. members. I mean, I don't know what's a good number. 200 seems like a like a <laughs> Just big, pulled out of the air there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a nice round number. But and, and chosen by committee. Yeah. And, and similarly, if we have the vis visibility for who's giving money to political parties and we have a committee choosing the honours system, yeah. uh, then maybe we've maybe we've solved the problems. There we are. Uh, for once on this podcast, maybe we've actually achieved something. What do you reckon, Sam? <laughs> well, we're, get, we're getting close to solving the problem. But the, the, I mean, the, the, the problem is, with, with, as with anything, uh, is, is that uh, these things are incredibly complex. And when you when you think that you've done it, a whole new set yeah. of problems build up. But I think yeah. it's a good start at the very least. Right. We'll ignore all those other problems. <laughs> good to talk, Sam. And you are the expert. And uh, yes. we, we and, thank and you for being on. potentially a knight uh, of the realm. Yeah, we'll, we'll do soon. what we can for you. Good, good <laughs> Sam, to talk to thanks you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks ever so much. Well, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. He, he was, was good value. Uh, he, yeah. He's my favourite story about the, you know, the, the magic of the House of Lords. Lord Hailsham uh, was, was wandering around the House of Lords, and he saw Neil Kinnock, who back in those days was bringing a couple of American tourists around to show them the place. And Lord Hailsham saw Neil Kinnock, which we knew, across the whole hall and corridors and shouted, Neil! And both American tourists did. <laughs>
<laughs> it may be apocryphal, but it's a Maybe. good story. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Now, look, next week uh, we are moving from the uh, the chambers mm. of Parliament mm. to the halls of uh, the academia. Yeah. Because and what's going wrong with our universities? Well, yeah, papers aren't getting marked. We get people who are Strikes. finishing off not knowing whether they've yeah. got a degree or not. But the whole funding model, which is really interesting, seems to be faltering. We've got the University of East Anglia, very famous for its creative writing course, looking in as if that might not... Well, it certainly is going to be reduced dramatically, yeah. uh, this world-beating course and they've had. Even before all of this, there was the question about, you know, the moment that universities were able to start raising money for mm. themselves, mm. Uh, did they did, did that actually sort of like reduce the level of, uh, you know, uh, of our degrees? Well, you know, was it, did it degrees? water down? Well, the sorts yeah. of... Yeah, exactly. The, the weird degrees... A lot of the Chinese out. students who've been funding uh, and a lot of the overseas students generally are now not coming in the ways they were. Certainly the Chinese aren't. Yeah. That's caused a lot of issues. And the vast amounts paid to vice-chancellors has caused some scandals as well. Yeah. Uh, so a lot to talk about. Do you think state. we can fix that out just as we've sorted yes, out the, uh, yes. the whole parliamentary system in half an hour next half week? I'm hour, sure we we'll can. That's all we need, isn't it? it well, is. maybe 40 minutes we go a bit over. We have this week anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. why we should finish now, isn't it, really? Indeed so. Right, that's it from... <laughs> the Why Care, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Why Curve.